It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Some of you may have gotten a little tired of hearing me talk about the cicada invasion here in the nation's capital. You know, it was like this six-week biblical plague. It went on and on. And it was affecting everybody. President Biden got bit. Uh, People were just fending off these horrible creatures that emerge from underground every 17 years. It wasn't just in D.C. It kind of stretched from Maryland to Baltimore to Pittsburgh. Uh, and finally, they, they vacated. They were gone. You have to listen to their deafening uh, war cries. And I figure, okay, we're good. See you in another 17 years. But right now, everybody in your nation's capital is walking around scratching and scratching from these itches. It turns out the cicadas left a legacy. Uh, this is a hot topic of conversation. They're called oak leaf itch mites. And what happened was this, it was such an uh, unusually intense invasion of these cicadas that they left billions of eggs on leaves of trees. And on these tiny microscopic bites, they're one 125th of an inch. You basically can't see them. Uh, come along and fed on these eggs. And now if you happen to be walking under a tree, you get bit. You don't even realize it at the time, but then about 10 hours later, you know, and, and it spreads and it's kind of disgusting. And once again, the, the uh, cicadas have left their mark on history. Now, I know this sounds a little whiny, but give me, give me one second here. I got to scratch. All right. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, hope you had a great weekend. Hope you had a chance to see Media Buzz. We had an unusually um, wide-ranging show covering everything from Andrew Cuomo, who is in the news again today. Uh, to the coronavirus, and I talked to Peter Ducey, White House correspondent for Fox News, about his uh, classic duels with Jen Psaki. Uh, a lot of this is online if you'd like to check it out. Also, what was making news this weekend was Barack Obama's 60th birthday party, and I got kind of taken in on this. I had to change a little item I did uh, at the last minute because Obama was going to have like 500 people uh, at this $12 million spread he has up on the vineyard, uh, all these celebrities and so forth. And they got a lot of bad press. And so the Obama people announced, okay, we're basically almost canceling this, and it's just going to be family and close friends. And I bought that. But it turned out, you know, they did disinvite some people. In fact, the New York Times had this very sort of deadpan piece, like, who has been kicked off the guest list? Uh, what a horrible fate that is. But still, it was this huge event, Beyonce, Jay-Z, John Legend, Chrissy Teigen, and um, all of the concern about, you know, when a lot of people get together, could it be a super spreader event? Basically out the window, uh, people on the left. There's a New York Times reporter, Annie Carney, who got a lot of heat for going on CNN and saying, this has really been overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are just going to, people are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. It's going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd and this is just about optics it's not about safety so all these people other people went on twitter and said oh it's a sophisticated crowd is it it's a vaccinated crowd so when all of these uh people get together for what is this called um the sturgis 
motorcycle rally in South Dakota. Anthony Fauci is out there criticizing that. Didn't make any mention of Obama's 60th birthday party. But I guess it's a more sophisticated crowd. Well, Andy Carney later went back on Twitter and said, look, I, I was just giving you the views of people I spoke with, you know, people in Obama world. The question was, what do people on the island think of the party? Okay. Um, and I hope nobody gets COVID as a result, but it does seem like there are different standards depending on who is having a mass event. By the way, there was a DJ who posted some pictures. There's, you can still find this on the web. And then was kind of told to delete because it was against the rules of this Martha's Vineyard event. Showed some of the food being served, uh, some of the you know decorations, Obama dancing. Uh, and this guy, and uh, along with a rapper named Trap Beckham, posted pictures of themselves smoking weed, which is legal in Massachusetts. Showed the open bar, the liquor, the cigars, the schmores. S'mores, I guess, would be the correct pronunciation. Uh, so, there you have it. Uh, oh, and the infrastructure bill, isn't this thing like waiting for Godot? It was going to be settled in the Senate Friday, and it's like Chuck Schumer is called a rare Saturday session. And, of course, it didn't get resolved then. And now I'm hearing, uh, well, 3 a.m. Tuesday in the House, because the people who want this thing not to pass are basically just trying to delay it. It looks like this point like they can't, like it's going to pass. There are something like 17 Republican senators, including Mitch McConnell, who've signed on to it. But it just never quite gets done. And, of course, that will clear the way to a whole other controversy about the $3.5 trillion you know, reconciliation Democrats-only bill. This thing is about a trillion. That's actually about $500 billion. And as I've said many times, it's not really paid for. Guess who doesn't want it to pass? That would be the former president of the United States. Uh, Trump sending out a release over the weekend. This is not an infrastructure bill. This is the beginning of the Green New Deal. The bill I proposed, which Mitch McConnell couldn't do anything with, was pure infrastructure. I want what's best for America, and that's what's best for the Communist Democratic Party. Democrat Party, as the Trump puts it. This will be a big victory for the Democrats. It will be used against Republicans in the upcoming elections. Schumer is issuing the threat, says the former president, of we can do it the hard way or the easy way, keeping people in town. McConnell never did that on a real infrastructure bill. Why is Donald Trump, who wanted an infrastructure bill, but a very different one, so adamant against this passing? Because he does, he's pissed at McConnell. He even has threatened um, to not endorse anybody who signs on to this. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep that because it's going to get a fair amount of Republican support. And by the way, if this passes and there are you know new roads and waterworks and bridges being built in various districts across the country, why can't Republicans just as much as President Biden and the Dems say, hey, you know, we did we did what you sent us here to Washington to do. We actually compromised on something that's important to the American people. I think it actually would be a bipartisan victory. Maybe it helps Biden more because he's the president and he obviously campaigned on you know the notion of we can all come together and do what's best for America. Anyway. Let's get serious here. Number one, Andrew Cuomo, back in the news. He was never really out of the news. This morning on CBS This Morning, an exclusive interview uh, that was kind of shared between CBS and the Albany Times Union. I mentioned this on the show yesterday, but we didn't uh, have the clip ready. Of executive assistant number one. Her name is Brittany Camasso. And she has not wanted to go public all this time. Uh, we didn't know her name until yesterday when CBS put it out. 
And I have to say, having watched the interview, which was split into two parts, she comes across as very poised, as very sincere, as very pained, and is very credible, most of all. Uh, she talked about how Cuomo would, uh, would give her all these hugs. Uh, she would never initiate the hugs. But then things got worse. The hugs, the kisses, the touches. And she said, this made me uncomfortable to me and the other woman he did this to. Oh, it was not normal. It was not welcome. And it was certainly not consensual. And she's saying these things because Cuomo and his lawyers are saying, oh, this never happened. And he never groped her. Uh, she says she was at the executive mansion on New Year's Eve 2019 to help the governor. She was doing some edits on his state of the state address. She finished it and Cuomo suggested they take a selfie. And this is when it begins, according to her. There's some dispute about, is this the date or the next date? She may have been mixed up on the dates. Um, so they stood next to each other. And I felt while I was taking the selfie, his hand go down my back onto my butt. And he started rubbing it, not sliding it, not, you know, quickly brushing over it, rubbing my butt. Then she said again, November 2020. So this is just some months ago, uh, almost a year later from the original incident, She's at work helping him in his executive mansion office. He lives in the, the building full-time full now. Uh, Brittany Camasso says in this interview with CBS that she was afraid a staffer might walk in and get the wrong idea. And she said to him, you're going to get us in trouble. She remembers it very explicitly. And then she later told other people, which adds to the credibility. She said Cuomo slammed the door shut, slipped his hand under her shirt, and grabbed her breast. Um, in his defense, and she's just how horrified she was at this, Cuomo said, oh, well, she initiated the hugs, and he went along with the hugs, he didn't want to make her feel awkward. So, you know, I'm sure this interview is now all over the web, it'll be replayed on TV all day long. You can watch this. And remember, she's one of 11 women. There's also the state trooper. There's also Charlotte Bennett who went on CBS and ABC after the governor's videotape message and said, he's lying, he's out of touch, this is what he did to me. But Brittany Camasso was the only person who says, you know, not just uh, kissing on the cheek or kissing on the lips, but who says that he groped her in a sexual way. Uh, and she has filed a criminal complaint now. Uh, she's gone to the local police department in Albany, filed a criminal complaint. Uh, and so I think she said... She had said this earlier, without having her name attached, that she didn't plan to ever go public about this. She was going to take this to her grave. She was scared. She was intimidated. All the people around the governor were mostly interested in protecting him. She might lose her job. She liked her job. Um, but then she watched back in early March of this year, when, when the, after Charlotte Bennett came out and Cuomo held a news conference, and said that this, you know, he never made to, meant to make anybody uncomfortable. This was a misunderstanding. Um, he likes to hug people. And that's when she told some of her co-workers, who then told it to a reporter for the Albany Times Union. By the way, the Albany Times Union, it was a story over the weekend, uh, the two top editors there got screamed at by Cuomo over the phone when the paper ran a story that he did not like, to the point that they both got off the phone and decided they would never again talk to Governor Cuomo off the record because it just gives him an opportunity to vent. If you want to talk to us, it has to be on the record. And, he, and the Albany Times Union reporters 
virtually never got called on at any news conferences in a sort of petty act of retaliation. But the other big news today, is actually broke last night, is that the number one aide to the governor, Melissa DeRosa, said last night she had resigned. And this is obviously as he's fighting for his political life. Uh, she put out a statement saying, it has been the great honor of my life, greatest honor of my life, to serve the people of New York for the past 10 years. In the wake of the report, according to the New York Times, she determined that Cuomo no longer has a path to stay in office, according to a source close to her, and that she would no longer be willing to stand up in public as his defender. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence, because she could have resigned right after the AG's report came out, that she announced it last night after CBS put out a clip with one of the accusers, the woman I just talked about, Brittany Camasso. Also, you know, Melissa DeRosa is all over this report by the state AG, Letitia James. And um, she does say in the statement that the past two years have emotionally and mentally trying. She is leading the retaliation efforts against the very first accuser, Lindsay Boylan, in which she had the, pers- the confidential personnel files pulled. There was talk of doing an op-ed with that information. That This ma- information made its way to the Albany Times Union, which declined. which says, we're not going to publish this dirt, whether you want to call it dirt or not, on somebody who is accusing the governor of sexual harassment. And she also instructed an aide to call Lindsay Boylan and tape record the conversation so they could use it against her. I mean, this is like, this is why women are reluctant to come forward. And it becomes very clear from this Attorney General's report, and it's not just Melissa Rosen, but she was the top dog there, that uh, they enabled the behavior, that they, after uh, Charlotte Bennett came forward, uh, that they decided to set up a system where the governor would no longer be alone with certain young women who he might have been attracted to. It's just uh, a mess, an absolute mess. And one more tidbit on this from a publication called The City. Uh, Because remember, Cuomo's saying he's not going to resign, he's not going to resign, he's not going to resign. But the Democrats in Albany, who seem to have the votes, are going to conduct an investigation, or actually conducting an investigation, which will rely heavily on the AG report, in which they could bring impeachment charges against the governor. And if that happens, and there's going to be a trial in the state Senate, He's immediately sidelined. It's not like a presidential impeachment where you can stay in office with full powers while you fight, as Donald Trump did twice, as Bill Clinton did once, um, where you are fighting um, for your political life, but you still have the full powers of your office. Governor Andrew Cuomo says the city have been trying to cut a deal with top state officials, promising not to seek a fourth term if impeachment talks are scuttled, but no one is buying it according to a source. The governor and what's left of his inner circle work in the phones try to cut this deal. Well, what leverage does he have? Under this plan, impeachment would be dropped. He'd remain as governor for almost a year and a half until the end of 2022. Um, and so you can see where that's one of the few remaining cards he has to play, but no one wants to buy that particular set of cards. All right, number two. COVID-19, Delta variant. Uh, You'll recall that I've been saying that the number of new daily cases in early June was just 15,000. I've actually saw that recently there was as low as 8,000. Now, yesterday, 
110,000 new cases. The average is now over 100,000. Now, I understand the death rates are way down. The hospitalization rates are not what they were at the peak of the pandemic. But in certain areas, which happen to be low-vax areas, they are starting to run short of hospital beds. So 100,000 new cases. Um, Deaths have nearly doubled now to 516 a day. Now, that's a hell of a lot less than it used to be, but it's twice as many as it was as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Only half the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Rochelle Walensky of the CDC is out there calling it, and Biden uses this term too, pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now, the good news, as I mentioned in an interview with Frank Luntz yesterday on Media Buzz, is that the number of vaccinations in this country every day have risen from under 500,000 to, I think it's about 840,000 over the weekend. Now, why is that? Is it because the media are focusing so heavily on the number of people who are dying? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But also, people who live in these areas who are seeing uh, family members, friends, or just reading in the paper about the number of people that are dying, um, are getting scared. And fear is a great motivator. Now, I hate to see it come to this. I wish they had gotten the vaccination long ago. But it's no longer just media and Fauci and Biden saying, hey, you got to get this vaccination. It's really, it's going to save your life. It's really, you know, you need to get it. Now they are seeing that people are dying and that virtually all of the people that are dying are not vaccinated. Asa Hutchinson, Republican governor of Arkansas, now saying publicly that it was a mistake for him and the legislature to pass a law banning mask mandates. He wants to get that reversed. He said on Face the Nation yesterday it was an error to sign that law. I admit that. It takes a big person to do that. What about the schools? I don't want my kids to have to wear a mask all day, but you know what? Kids, especially under 12, are the last people in America who are not eligible to get the vaccine. So isn't it incumbent on all of our parts to require that all the adults that they come into contact with are vaccinated. So Randy Weigarten of the American Federation of Teachers is out there urging her own union to reverse its position against vaccine mandates. She says, oh, we, you know, 90% of teachers are vaccinated, but we think there should still be full choice. So she's doing a flip because she's under pressure. And there's a suspicion that many of these union teachers don't want to have to show up for work. It's an awful mess. I think most schools are going to open. That's a good thing. But I think the kids are going to have to wear masks. And it's hard to wear masks six, seven hours a day. And this is part of the fallout, especially for the youngest students. Now, the two biggest opponents of mask mandates are Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. Uh, DeSantis is getting a lot of heat because the mainstream media don't like him because he wants to run for president in 2024, assuming Donald Trump does not run. Um, And now it's becoming a bigger political issue in Texas. Uh, In Austin, officials warned that the situation was getting desperate. Here's a quote from the uh, spokesman for the Austin's uh, Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. We are in the single digits of ICU beds available. Patients in ERs are being forced to wait for space. The mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, said the crisis could have been avoided if Governor Abbott had not barred local government officials from issuing mandates on masking. You know, if you're the governor of the state and you don't want to have a state mask mandate, that's one thing. I understand that. 
But if you're saying that Houston and Dallas and Austin and San Antonio can't do it, that's a very different situation. Now, Fauci is on Meet the Press yesterday saying that vaccine mandates for adults are necessary in the school setting to give children who aren't yet eligible, in other words, those 12 and under, a shield of vaccinated people. There's not yet been an approved vaccine for children under 12. Um, So now we have this battle in Florida. We have this battle in Texas. You have the mayor of San Antonio, Ron Nirenberg, saying the governor, Governor Abbott, has shown a callous disregard for life and safety in defiance of clear medical guidance and is risking the safety of our children and the recovery of our economy. Spokesman for the governor says, Governor Abbott has been clear that we must rely on personal responsibility, not government mandates. Every Texan has a right to choose for themselves and their children, whether they wear masks, open their business, or get vaccinated. One other quick note on this. Former Newsweek host, I take no pride in reporting this, guy by the name of Farrell, has now died from COVID-19. He had mocked the scandemic, as he called it, and the lying freak, as he called Anthony Fauci. Dick Farrell is his name. Uh, One of his friends said said on Facebook, COVID took one of my best friends, RIP Dick Farrell. He texted me and told me to get it. He told me this virus is no joke, and he said, I wish I had gotten it. Well, I'm glad that the people who have unfortunately come down with a very serious case of COVID-19 are now making that part of their message. I wish they had seen the light earlier. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, number three. Interesting column by David Vondrelli in the Washington Post. I've talked on and on, and we did a whole segment on the show about this, about um, President Biden reversing himself and saying he is extending the eviction ban, even though the Supreme Court basically said you can't do that. And it, it gets very wonky, and it's a hard subject to get people interested in. You know, CNN, Erin Burnett had an interview with uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush, who was one of the leaders in pushing Biden to reverse himself. And she was just like congratulating. How does it feel that you got Biden to do this? Congratulations to you. You've, saved, you've helped so many people. But there's a really strong chance to get reversed by the courts. Anyway, this is what Vondrelli writes. This is a crisis of competence, not caring. Governments across the country have failed to deliver aid to the people who need it. This is the $46 billion in rental assistance that has been approved, sent out to the states, and very little of that has been spent, only $3 billion. Instead of solving that problem, he writes, the CDC order extending the moratorium is almost certainly illegal and fails to address the core problem. Posturing in such ways rather than finding solutions is a poison in the bloodstream of modern politics. It's a very fair-minded and detailed piece. He says, we have another failure by Congress and yet another executive branch overreach. In other words, nobody's doing their jobs. The Supreme Court and the ruling by Kavanaugh gave Congress a month to figure this out. Congress couldn't pass anything. President Biden, under pressure from the left wing of his party, uh, is overreaching and knows full well, because we heard him say it, knows full well this is probably illegal, but felt compelled to do it anyway. And then the Supreme Court, which Vondrelli says is the last branch of government, maybe the last small band of people on earth, with constitutional respect for the House of Representatives. The court properly ruled that if the rights of property owners to enforce rental contracts are to be suspended indefinitely, 
only the legislative branch to do it. So what's going on in Congress? Well, Congress was absorbed in such weighty issues as whether the minority leader is a moron, as the Speaker of the House alleged, whether the Speaker should be battered with a gavel, as the minority leader suggested. In other words, they're just oh, politics as usual, sniping each other, don't get the job done. So everybody has failed here. Everybody has failed. And that's what this column makes clear. Number four, uh, the somewhat forgotten issue of Afghanistan, after President Biden has pulled out all but um, a few hundred remaining troops. So what's happening is, utterly predictable, the Taliban have now overrun three major cities in the northern part of the country. They have captured uh, some of the most significant population centers, particularly one like Kunduz, uh, which has 350,000 people, which uh, U.S. and coalition forces had to retake twice. But the war is now over now. I mean, the war is not over, but the U.S. involvement in, in the war is over. And the only thing the Biden administration was able to do is launch some limited and ineffective airstrikes from hundreds of miles away. So a lot of people feel like the country and warned that the country was going to fall to the Taliban. Nevertheless, uh, and Biden, I think, made the decision. This war has gone on for 20 years. The Afghan government that we have propped up is no closer to having full control of the country. We can't have a forever war. Donald Trump had that same position, by the way. And so we are pulling out. We're not going to any longer risk American lives. And I think that was a pretty popular position evidenced by the fact that two straight presidents, one Republican and one Democrat, have taken that position. But it also is essentially a surrender. What, what, what Biden is signaling now with this rather muted American response, just a few airstrikes, is that America's 20-year war really is over, and the mismanaged and exhaustive forces of the Afghan government, the Afghan military, according to the New York Times, will have to retake the cities on their own or leave them to the Taliban for good. And it's not hard to imagine that this will go on to the point where the Taliban will once again be in charge. But look, Afghanistan is, is very treacherous terrain. It's a bunch of tribal units, really. It's not really a unified country, never has been. Uh, the Soviets were, in effect, defeated there. I mean, you can go back in history, centuries, not just decades, uh, you know, they outlast every opponent, and now they've outlasted the United States of America, which the only reason for the evasion was to retaliate against the Taliban for, um, for harboring Osama bin Laden as he plotted 9-11. Uh, at the moment, the Afghanistan is not a major site of international terrorism, but if the Taliban are to take over again, that could change. And let's get to number five here. And a little bit more on what happened at the end of the Trump administration and what Democrats and the media are calling an attempted coup. So CNN has a new story. You know, I've talked about it before, and I'm sure you're familiar with what happened when Bill Barr resigned. That was in late December. Remember, there's maybe six weeks to go, five or six weeks at most, left in the Trump administration. The acting attorney general takes over, Jeffrey Rosen, and Trump starts pressuring him in near-daily phone calls to do things, to send it back to the states, to pressure the state of Georgia. And Rosen, to his credit, refuses to do it. So then Trump is musing about getting rid of Rosen, the acting AG, and turning it over to a guy named Jeffrey Clark. So here's the latest about Jeffrey Clark. He was the head of the civil division at DOJ at the time. So according to reporters, report by CNN, which is based on emails obtained by the House Oversight Committee. So this is the, the January 6th committee or maybe it's a related committee, I'm not entirely positive. 
a Justice Department official, this is Jeffrey Clark, appointed by Trump, attempted to block results from the 2020 election by pushing a wild theory, and this is pretty wild, that votes may have been hacked by Chinese intelligence agents armed with digital thermometers. And this is not just like one person said this. So the Chinese government was supposed to be able to use digital thermometers to change results in the Dominion voting machines. Sources told CNN. Remember, Dominion has filed lawsuits about being smeared in all this, allegedly. And according to an email from DOJ official, former DOJ official Jeffrey Clark, hackers have evidence that a Dominion machine accessed the internet through a smart thermostat with a net connection trail leading back to China. Uh, this is part of Trump's campaign to not leave the White House, even though Biden had been elected. And, of course, he famously told Jeffrey Rosen, uh, just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and our congressman, Republican congressman, according to notes of that phone call. So, uh, as the story, this one's in the Huffington Post, points out, the imagined connection between China and the U.S. presidential election is a key element of QAnon conspiracy theories. Uh, Clark also wrote a draft letter, this one was obtained by ABC News, in which he urged officials in Georgia, remember it was won by Biden, to my surprise, by a narrow 10,000 votes, urging officials in Georgia to call a special session of the state legislature to challenge the vote there. And the Clark letter falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified, quote, significant concerns that may have impacted uh, of the outcome of the election in multiple states, including the state of Georgia. So that was the whole Trump game plan. Get it back to the states. Get it back to key states. Arizona, where we still have this, you know, somewhat wild Maricopa County audit going on. Uh, Georgia, maybe a couple of others. And that in states where the Republicans were in control, their legislators would be used to thwart the will of the people and overturn enough of those findings so that the election would be thrown into complete chaos and presumably... President Trump could use that to say, I'm not going to leave on January 20th. Fortunately, Bill Barr wouldn't go along with that. Jeffrey Rosen wouldn't go along with that. Uh, certain state officials who are Republicans in Georgia would not go along with that. And, you know, the stuff about the digital thermometers, I mean, it just gets wilder and wilder, more and more conspiratorial, more and more nutty. I don't have any other way to put it. And when you have now these documents coming out, it's not just, oh, one person said, I remember this. Um, this is serious stuff, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Look, I wish as a country we could just move on. The election settled. Joe Biden is president. Uh, maybe the Republicans can concentrate on taking back the House in 2022, which I think is likely. We'll see what happens in 2024. For one thing, we don't even know whether Joe Biden is going to run for re-election at the age of 82. So there's a lot of politics to be waged here, but it's hard to let go of this stuff from the past when it's still under investigation and when Donald Trump is sending out releases virtually every day. He did go on Dan Bongino's show um, Saturday night and say um, the vaccine is good. I got the vaccine. People who, who voted for me should get the vaccine. But then he added, yeah, but you have to make up your own mind. I, I, the more that Donald Trump speaks out in favor of the vaccine, the more I think he'll be doing not just a public service, but he is the one who deserves credit for developing Operation Warp Speed. I would sure rather see him talk about that than this continued, unproven arguments about the supposedly rigged election. Well, once again, 
Hope you had a chance uh, to see the program or check it out online. Hope you had a good weekend. It's nice to be back in action. We're back in action here tomorrow with more Buzzbeat. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.